Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Friday, May 21st. Well, just ahead, how is it that Bitcoin tanks and Square does not? We'll take a look at Square's reliance on Bitcoin. Plus, VF Corporation buys some cool with Supreme, but COVID is keeping Supreme from growing. And Shopify grows with stores hawking everything from Heinz to reality TV. We'll talk ketchup, we'll talk summer house, we'll talk Shopify with Rick Watson. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, and TuneIn. Hit that subscribe button, follow us, and catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind stocks on the move and helping me do that. Executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, what are the three most important developments in the world of Corey, business today? Corey, let's get straight to it. The three most important business stories of the day. Number one, the White House attempting to push through its infrastructure plan by making a counteroffer to Republicans. President Biden now reducing the price tag of that from $2.3 trillion to $1.7 trillion. Now, will it win over some Republican votes? Who knows? But the smaller cost is still much larger than the $568 billion in infrastructure plan the Senate Republicans are pushing. In fact, that's about the difference, right? That is. $600 million and <laughs> $563 million? Yeah, that's about it. So we'll see how that uh, goes. In any case, uh, it is it is uh, or a billion, I should say, a six hundred billion difference. Right. What's the six hundred billion dollars between friends? Exactly. Well, these are they aren't really friends. Now, number two, <laughs> number two, cryptocurrency prices fell again Friday, extending the week's sell off. This comes after China said tighter regulations were needed to protect the financial system. China didn't rule out taking action against Bitcoin mining and trading. Now, over the past seven days, Bitcoin has seen prices fall 28%, Ether's fallen 42%, XRP's fell, fallen 28%, even Dogecoin down 39%. The largest concentration of mining for Bitcoin and Ether is in China. Yeah. Well, isn't that partly because of the deregulation there or lack of regulation, I should say? No, it's about cheap power and enforcing um we're not enforcing any bans on crypto. So uh, there's some people making a lot of money mining Bitcoin in China because the electricity is so cheap. All right, our final third most important business story of the day. Existing home sales in the U.S. fell in April. Now, this is a reflection of record high prices and a shortage of available homes. April marked the third straight monthly decline of existing home sales. Now, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with VF Corporation. VFC shares fell 9% Friday, but they've risen 37% in a year. What's the story here with uh, VF Corp? So less than the market has risen. Um, exactly. VF did a big deal. They own a, they own a ton of brands. They've got North Face and Timberland and, and Vans, Sneakers. And now, as of the end of last year, Supreme. They bought Supreme for $2.1 billion at year end, and it became a wholly owned subsidiary of VF Corporation. You know Supreme, surely. Uh, I'm wearing Supreme underwear as we speak. Wow. 
too much TMI. Wow, TMI. Thank God this is audio. This is, we don't need this to be video. Um, but you, you've seen the lines at that store in Manhattan, oh, yeah. in Soho, right? I and mean, here it's in insane. LA too. Yeah. That weekly drop, I mean, it's just crazy. I, I, I stumbled upon that not knowing what it was once upon a time. And, and it's just incredible, the, the thousands of people lining the streets in Soho and elsewhere trying to get that weekly drop. Well, already there's clearly some learning from Supreme at VF Corp. Uh, they're going to start doing weekly drops of new product from VF's Vans sneakers, right? So just like Supreme, uh. they're going to weekly drop of Vans. Uh, they talked about that in the conference call. Supreme... I should mention, it's supposed to contribute about $500 million in revenue for VF and about $0.20 cents a share in earnings in the 2022 fiscal year. So pretty quickly, they expect to make more money from this thing. And yet, they don't expect to grow a lot with Supreme, at least not right away, because of the lasting effect of COVID travel bans, particularly in China. The CEO, Steve Rendell, on the conference call talked about that today. Yeah, so Supreme, as we get, um, you know, the team, you know, engaged with our with our Asia platform. Uh, quite a bit of work is going on in just understanding, you know, the model and uh, how can we leverage our skills um, in region, but more importantly in China. Um, you won't see anything this year. It will come um, in, you know, probably you know next year and the year after is where you know, uh, you know that that work will be done. I think the the key here, Supreme's team ability to travel to the marketplace. You know, they. Spend a tremendous amount of time, you know, um, understanding the consumer, um, finding their specific consumer, and then the store location, uh, which is how uh, we enter markets, um, is such a critical part of, of of how they think about you know new market penetration. The, they need to be able to get in market. They need to be able to partner with our teams to begin to understand, um, you know, those, those key consumer markets and where best to put that first store. Um, and that that is one of the big drivers of why it won't be this year, but it'll be you know the years to come. I thought it was just so fascinating that that Supreme really is about location, 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 and they can't get to any location, location, location in China right now because of COVID. Yeah, I, I actually find this really surprising as well because I don't think of Supreme like that. We are we are a big Supreme household. We own a lot of Supreme things. We love the brand. Full disclosure there, but like, um, I don't think of them as a retail operation. I think of it all as e-commerce and online. So this is a very interesting to hear. Corey, what is your next drill down? Deer. Deer. DE shares rose, uh, 1.5% Friday and they've gained 152% over the past 12 months. What's going on with Deer. Well, kind of amazing. So they reported results for the second quarter that just ended uh, their fiscal second quarter. Um, and it was great. It was just a great quarter. Revenue's up 30% to $12 billion, thanks to shipping more stuff and, of course, jacking prices. Uh, profits tripled just about to $1.8 billion from $666 million the prior year's uh, second quarter. Now, this is a global recovery for them. Now, again, we discussed Hormel results yesterday. And let's think back to a year ago. Farmers were in a world of hurt, but not so much anymore. So, you know, for deer, uh, lots of things were going on. But what really interested me in the call was the change in farming that happened during COVID. Not just the comeback we're seeing now, but the, the kind of different direction that farming took during the last year. In particular, a lot of people fleeing the city ended up on the farm. John Deere uh, has a division they call small ag or small agriculture and turf. 
It was up 30% year over year to $3.4 billion. Here's a guy named Corey Reed. Funny name, I know. Corey Reed. He's Deere's president of Agriculture and Turf Division for Production and Precision Ag. Here's Corey Reed. Uh, we have a lot of traditional customers in that space, but we're seeing conversions in that space, which is good. Those are new customers to us. When you move down the line into turf equipment, small tractors, compact utilities, very many of those are new customers to us. So it's a, it's a strong business. That, that industry continues to increase. The COVID pandemic has had an impact on that, but we're seeing more people move to the countryside, to acreages, and buy turf equipment. So it's been a great market, and we think that's continuing. Just fascinating to me that people are moving to the farm. Yeah. That, well, isn't that always the dream when you live in a city? Find that little Until plot you, of land? I know that my family works so hard to get off the farm. <laughs> One time I was looking at a small vineyard in upstate New York and thought, boy, I could live like this. And then I thought, wait a minute, some people worked really hard so I didn't have to be on the farm. <laughs> Maybe I should remember that. Yeah, that's my background too. Small family farms and you got to escape from them. But then I always have this day, recurring daydream of going back to it and farming. Not that I know anything about farming. I can plant some flowers. Hey, Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to take a look at Square. Square. SQ shares fell 2.5% Friday, but they've gained 145% over the past 12 months. What's new with Square? All right. I was amazed this week as the price of Bitcoin dropped about 20%. You talked about it earlier in the show, then bounced right back. Mm -hmm. And Square seemed kind of unaffected. The shares were barely off when Bitcoin was completely tanking. And look, Square shares in the last five days of trading, exactly flat. But in the last five days of Bitcoin trading, it's down about 17%. Now, Corey, you are, you're always saying you don't care about the share price. I know, I know. But look, the business of Square is very much about the price of Bitcoin. Square has seen fantastic growth over the last year in all their businesses, absolutely. But I went back and read the 10K for Square. Revenues were up 157% over the last 12 months. So that's great. 266% in the last quarter. But a vast majority of their growth last year, 85%, was in the sale of Bitcoin. And in that 10K, I can't call it fine print because the entire thing is fine print, but on page 21 of the 10K, let me read it to you. It says, the growth rate of their cash app, that's the cash app business they have, the growth rate of cash app revenue may be distorted by the price of Bitcoin as Bitcoin revenues may increase or decrease due to the price of Bitcoin and may not correlate to customer or engagement growth rates. So, you know, to me, the big question was if the, a big Bitcoin correction or just the fear of volatility disheartens Bitcoin, you know, investors, wouldn't that hurt Square's revenues? I mean, how could it not? Yeah, I mean, that seems to make sense. But, but well, we didn't back, see that today. We didn't see that this week. The stock did not correlate with what could be the business result. I don't know. I, I went back and modeled out every single quarter for the last three years of Square's Bitcoin sales. So let me tell you the percentage of revenue uh, Bitcoin was for every quarter for the last uh, 12 or 16 quarters. Well, oh, my God. No, you're not going to read from your model again, are you? Okay, fine. I won't read from the model. Okay, just two quarters. Listeners, you're welcome. Two, two <laughs> years ago, Bitcoin sales was 7% of sales. Okay. In the most recent first quarter, it was 69% of revenues. So. Wow. From 7% of revenues to 69% of revenues, a slowdown in Bitcoin speculation would not be good for Square. 
Now, here is Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Square. Wait, Isaac, I know you think the sound bites are too long sometimes. I, I think I'm coming off as a complaining person, but I'm really not. Okay, well, but sometimes they are quick. too long. Yes. <laughs> here is a brief, a brief, well, I like to give the listeners in depth information from the horse's mouth. Uh-huh. Here is that horse, Jack Dorsey. Here's what he had to say about Bitcoin when he was reporting quarterly results in August of 2019. We, we love you, Bitcoin. <laughs> okay, That's so that was said. a micro soundbite, but okay. That's a little too what short. You want to, did you want more? That's a little too short. Okay. We we love you, Bitcoin. We we love you, Bitcoin. We we love you, Bitcoin. <laughs> oh my God! You know it's Friday. Jack when Dorsey. You're doing that. Yeah. He loves his Bitcoin. All right. Up next, Rick Watson, the CEO of RMW Commerce Consulting. Isaac, we're going to talk about small business. We're going to talk about Summer House. What's Summer House? What is that? It's it's like it's a show on Bravo. It's like Real World with rosé and bikinis. Oh. And right, we're going to talk about that and more. Okay. And Shopify, when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000-plus investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And remember to join The Drill Down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Link up with the Business Podcast Network on LinkedIn. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks you think we should be drilling down on. Our guest joins us right now, e-commerce expert Rick Watson. He's the CEO of RMW Commerce Consulting in New York City, among his many claims to fame uh, in the world of e-com. Uh, Rick has launched and built BarnesandNoble.com's third-party marketplace that at one point had over a million uh, products in that catalog. Rick joins us right now from New York City. Uh, Rick, you want us to drill down on Spotify, Spotify, Shopify, um, not to be confused with Spotify. Uh, I think of all of the stories of COVID's uh, um, effect on e-commerce, none is bigger than what happened with Shopify. I think e-commerce, uh, and by the way, great to be on, Corey. Um, e-commerce is a runaway success of COVID. And I think, you know, regardless of whether you're buying toilet paper or things for your home, um, if you weren't online before COVID, uh, number one, you needed a place to go. And Shopify was a quick place to do it. Uh, and But if you already had a Shopify store, uh, you are you were in a good position to take advantage of the tailwinds of COVID. I have been thinking lately about the hoarding that happened in the early days of COVID and what that must have done for online shopping, that people who never bought certain products online were suddenly trying to get toilet paper or whatever you couldn't get flour um, uh, online. But that's not really Shopify's uh, main jam, right? It really is small business. Yeah, I, I think the majority of Shopify revenue by far is uh, small businesses. So, you know, by any count in their last quarterly earnings, it was one 1.7 million merchants on Shopify. Clearly, there aren't 1.7 million big businesses in the U.S. So um, you're talking about a, a fraction of, of those are, are bigger ones. I didn't, you know, know anything about this company much until about six, nine months ago or something. Um, uh, you know, I saw the stock move, but I thought it was just another kind of e-commerce, Canadian, whatever, that might be a flash in the pan. But this really is a sizable business where they 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 see themselves not as a, an online shop, but as an e-commerce 
uh, enabler for all of small business all over the world. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, the, right now, the majority of the, uh, they are worldwide. I would say the majority of their revenue is in the US and Western Europe, um, but they're squarely in the on, um, their enablement category. They're not a retailer like Amazon. They don't have their own marketplace. So they're, they're the companies selling the picks and shovels to all these e-commerce gold miners that are out there trying to make uh, mil- their next million. Well, explain to me the difference between uh, Shopify and what they do to what eBay or Etsy or Amazon's marketplace does. Yeah, so Shopify is, you know, in the simplest term, it's software. So you can sign up for their software, you pay a monthly subscription fee, and it allows you to set up a store, which means that any customers you acquire through your own store are yours to market to and you own. You can create a fully branded experience that represents your small, medium, or large brand. With Amazon or Etsy or eBay, um, you're in their branded marketplace. You are just one of millions of eBay sellers. Um, If you are a buyer on eBay, you generally are going to eBay just to find whatever. You're not generally going to one single brand. Uh, And so as a result, if you're a brand that's selling through eBay, you don't own necessarily your customer uh, long-term. It does seem, though, that for, you know, the the local toy shop in Dubuque that suddenly had to close the doors um, and was always competing or has lately been competing with the likes of Amazon, that learning how to sell online isn't as simple as taking your merchandise, putting a picture of it on a website with the help of Shopify, that that whole process of marketing capturing customer emails, understanding who that customer is when they're not the face that you see coming in the door and ringing the bell um, is a big lift for traditional uh, small businesses. Yeah, I, I would I would say that right. That's correct. Digital marketing, finding your audience, knowing how to spend, where to spend, how to spend efficiently. Um, it's a big part of the reason why Amazon is an attractive place for people to sell because, you know, if you're a merchant, you're like, well, all the eyeballs are already there. Maybe I should just go sell there. Um, but then the challenge is, are these really mine? If Amazon kicks me off, what do I really have? And we've seen lots of stories about Amazon competing against their uh, merchants. The merchants that come online suddenly see competitive products showing up. Amazon uh, doesn't like those stories and has in various ways disputed them. But facts are facts, and they have uh, quite often been offering products that uh, other customers have kind of pioneered the way for. Other merchants, I should say, have pioneered the way for on the Amazon marketplace, suddenly those products being sold by Amazon itself. Yeah, That's not the case with Shopify? No, it's not the case with Shopify. In in Shopify, it's almost like – it's a difference between buying buying your own house and then paying it the way you want and inviting guests over versus uh, renting, renting an apartment in a big apartment building, which is what you get with Amazon. And if the landlord wants to evict you, you could be gone. So uh, Shopify uh, for small business, what about for big business? Um, they, so they have been growing relatively significantly over the past uh, years in bigger businesses. I would say the biggest businesses online are mostly still building their own technology. If you look at Amazon, Target, Walmart, Best Buy, you go down the line, you start to get into you know, the likes of SAP, IBM, Oracle, um, Salesforce. There's a tier below that that 
uh, Shopify introduced so, a sorry, product. Sorry, just, to, just uh-huh. to, to reiterate. So those are the tools that yeah. big business are using That's to put right. stores online. They go to Oracle or they go to Salesforce and say, hey, you've got a, you've got a lot of the tools we would need to build a store online. Let's, let's use, we already use Salesforce in our business. We'll use Salesforce to put our store online. That that's a hundred percent correct. But what is what some of these even bigger businesses are finding is that if you go to some of these big vendors, what you're going to do is pay uh, a much a heck of a much a bigger price uh, to both get that store off the ground as well as to maintain it indefinitely going forward. It's harder to customize and it's harder to staff. Well, give me an example. You know, an example is, um, you know, in in the past two years, Heinz launched. Uh, a new brand on Shopify, and they did it in the matter of a couple of months. Heinz Usually, Ketchup. Heinz Ketchup has a Shopify store. Ketchup. I understand it's a naturally mellowing agent. <laughs> it makes me calm whenever I eat ketchup. Well, how could it not? <laughs> but uh, sorry, so I, 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 that's that's just mind blowing. So so they've got a direct to consumer business online using Shopify to sell ketchup. They do. They do. So again, so why Shopify? Why would that be the right business for them? And what does Heinz get on the back end that they wouldn't get otherwise if they were using a different service? I, I think what they get is they get a service that's three or four times less expensive than a comparable product Interesting. or a similar functionality. So I would say one of the, one of the magic things about Shopify is like, look, a store is a store. You have someone go to a website, you're going to have a checkout button. It's, you're going to pay through it through Visa or PayPal or whatever it is, and then you're going to get your product. But the, the no, amount of features you get and how easy they are to set up and the price you pay for those, um, Shopify has really got a, a great, what's called product market fit in a segment of growing direct-to-consumer businesses um, relative to their competition. And that explains a lot of their growth. It seems that they are not only taking big businesses and putting them online, and their bigger business of taking small businesses and putting them online, but it seems like they are creating uh, commerce out of businesses that don't exist yet, or or sort of adjacent uh, businesses, an opportunity for people with uh, with brands to market product for the first time and do so online. What what are the tools that they use to enable this? And let me give you an example. So my friend Lindsay Hubbard. Um, uh, she's in New York City. She works in public relations. She comes to me five, six years ago and says, hey, I've, I'm, I'm actually auditioning for this show on Bravo. They're going to do this show called Summer House. And we'll like it's and I'm like, this sounds like real world with Rosé. And she's like, exactly. So if I make if I get on the show, I'll be I'm like, don't do it. Definitely. Well, she did it. Show's a big hit. And now she has a Shopify store when apparently when she gets really upset on the show, the cameras catch her yelling at one of her friends, don't you activate me. So now she has this whole merchandise line around don't activate me selling everything from from (laughs) painters hats to sports bras um, all in the Lindsay Hubbard line. This is something that Shopify has enabled for her. Yeah, and I think the fact that anyone can do it is is part of the key to their success. So they provide uh, a blog that you can email your customers, you could set up merchandise, you can provide new images for your product, send your fans updates uh, through the platform. You know, any number of things. All, you know, subscription have subscription products uh, sold through Shopify as well. 
What are the hardest things for merchants, new merchants, people new to selling stuff, to understand about selling online? Because it's a very different animal to sell stuff online, to capture emails, to figure out how to market to those people and really understand. You know, when a customer walks in a door, pushes the door open, you hear the bell ring, you you can see the face. You can understand what that person's after in some way. It's hard to determine from uh, mysterious clicks online and an email address. Yeah, I think, look, the two biggest expenses in e-commerce are also the hardest. Uh, And that tends to be advertising and fulfillment. So where and how to acquire new consumers efficiently is one of the biggest problems. And the second is like, how do you get it out the door in a way that doesn't break your bank uh, so that you can still make money at the end of the day, uh, not give it all to UPS? Well, does Shopify help with that? I mean, what what are those kind of because offering services that offering handholding is not a very scalable business, um, and yet Shopify seems to be all about scalable for small customers, small merchants. Yeah, so there are a number of agencies that can help people get started. They try to make the software as easy as possible, so that you know they have you know guided wizards and getting started. So it's easy to get up and going. So fulfillment, they have launched a new product in the last a couple of years called Shopify Fulfillment Network. It's a very, very small part of their business today, but they're trying to make it easy out of the box for people to uh, have, you know, allow their customers to have a good shipping and delivery experience. Advertising, you know, mostly they're just connecting people's stores to the major advertising platforms like Google and Facebook. So this week, Shopify announced a huge new partnership with Google so that a Shopify store owner could connect their store to Google very easily with one or two clicks. So Google's not a competitor here? Google is not a competitor at all. In fact, Google hopes Shopify wins in general because if there are millions of Shopify stores out there, then maybe people won't start their search only at Amazon. And the size of this business is enormous, but the size of the stock is even bigger. I mean, um, Isaac hates it when I read from my um, my, uh, my financial models. But if you look on a trailing basis, you know, if, so if I was telling you the story, you'd say, wow, well, they must have had a really great third quarter. But as COVID starts to relax and people shop online less, their growth rate will slow down. Well, if you look on a trailing 12-month basis, revenue growth for this company went from – 50% to 61% to 73% to 86% to 100% year-over-year growth. This thing is accelerating even as COVID cases are declining in the U.S. Yeah, I would say that is 100% true. And I think Shopify is one of the best pure markers out there of U.S. direct-to-consumer e-commerce trends uh, that you can probably find. And what about, uh, you know, what might lead this thing to slow down? Now, they've turned to profitability recently, which is always a good thing. The gross margins seem to be generally holding up, down a little bit, but holding up. Um, do we look for profitability here? Does that matter at this point? Or are they really in, in pedal to the metal growth, add new services to help their small business uh, customers? Yeah, I, I think like many of the sort of dot-com e-commerce uh, companies out there, profitability is not a huge concern. If they need to raise money, they, they would have no problem raising additional offerings, uh, and they have. Um, I think the biggest risk for Shopify is really focus. Um, 
like Amazon is a unique company in the universe is that they have proven that they can be a retailer, a marketplace, an advertising company, a fulfillment company, and everything else. Shopify, they're a store. You can build your store on Shopify. They have not yet proven they can innovate in new areas outside of their uh, traditional domain. So I think that's the biggest risk as I watch them long term. Is, is there really, uh, really still a one trick pony? Because right. that is not how they see themselves. Um, it's not. I would say they ha they have two major products right now. One is the store, which is a subscription. And then second is what they call Shop Pay. It's actually something they've recently rebranded in the past year and a half or so. Um, it almost seems like they're trying to recreate PayPal in their own image. All right. So let me ask about the store situation with these small. These guys see themselves as a um, provider of a, of a platform for small business and doing a lot more than just setting up a store. Yeah, that's right. I, I think they see themselves as providing the store, providing the marketing tools, providing the fulfillment services, uh, providing the payment solutions so that merchants can grow. Um, and do you think that that's a risk to their growth or inability to do all this other stuff? Or do you think that's an opportunity for growth or is it both? Uh, I, I In the short term, you know, let's call it the next three to five years, I don't think it's a risk at all. I, I think they have plenty and enough wood to chop in front of them uh, in, in terms of uh, opportunity and e-commerce. It's not going to slow down anytime soon. I, I've, I've listened to interviews with the, in, in the conference calls and they have to say management seems super, super sharp. Yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting. Um, it's a young set of entrepreneurs. And um, I, I think that kind of gets into the other risk. One, one of the big things you saw in the past six or eight months is about four out of their top seven C-level execs have left or moved on in the past year. Um, that's something to take, take a look at. <laughs> 100% that's the reason. Like, why do I need to work anymore? Uh, but, and, uh, but maybe we should be doing a drill down merch store. Don't you think? I, I, I agree. We need, I, I need that sounded some like Corey. a no to me. That sounded like stick to your knitting Johnson. I, I, I need some podcast. Corey. I need some Corey swag. I'm not sure anybody needs that. Uh, we need more of you, Rick Watson. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Rick Watson is the CEO of RMW Commerce Consulting. Rick, how can people follow you uh, on the socials or keep touch and uh, track with your views on what's going on in the world of e-commerce? Yeah, yeah, easy, pretty, pretty easy to find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Rick Watson and e-commerce or just head to my website, rmwcommerce.com. Great. Rick Watson, thank you very much. Okay, well, up next, the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. I mentioned my friend Lindsay Hubbard of Summer House and all of the merchandise that she's offering on her Shopify store. Well, how much do you think it costs for a don't activate me sports bra? We will have that one number right after this. The drill down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot -E com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, and TuneIn. Just hit that subscribe button, follow us, and catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. 
Okay, we're back with the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Thanks to Shopify, my friend Lindsay Hubbard has been able to create a store for all of her favorite sayings from her, her show on Bravo, Summerhouse, saying things like, where's my sandwich? But this time it's a where's my sandwich unisex hoodie. Or don't activate me cropped hoodie. Or the don't activate me sports bra, that one number tells us that she's charging 50 bucks for that sports bra income where you might not have had it otherwise, thanks to Shopify. All right, well, that's it. Thanks for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. The show is edited by Ben Wilson. Maggie Renshaw is our senior producer. Alicia Alban, our chief of staff, and she's awesome. Samantha Fennell, our head of sales, is also awesome. Our theme song, Moving Average, is by Structural Dynamics. Thank you to Yorn and the fantastic crew at Shack 15. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.